Hi, and welcome to Blissful Spinster. This week's guest is actor, filmmaker, and educator, Adria Don. Adria lives in Chicago, and she's a talented multi-hyphenate who shines both in front of and behind the camera. Adria is most known for playing the dysfunctional outcast April Tuna on Ryan Murphy's first series, the high school cult hit, Popular. As a director, writer, and producer, Adria is most known for her films for social change. She's recently won two Telly Awards. My goodness, Adria, that's fantastic. One of those Telly Awards was for her multi-award winning Black Lives Matter film, Karen. And the other Telly Award is for her alcohol use disorder film, Gray Area. She's also known for the educational film series, Kids matter where she works with middle school age kids to make films and they just released their latest film identity as if that weren't enough to keep anyone busy adria has also begun work on a memoir that i'm sure will be both enlightening and entertaining just like she is Last, but never least important, Adria is one of my oldest and best friends. As a matter of fact, we met last century while we were both attending the University of Illinois, and we've been there for each other, both professionally and personally, throughout our lives. I really enjoyed getting to both chat with Adria and shine a light on what a fantastic artist and human she is. This conversation is a testament to how important it is for us as artists to build and maintain a tribe of positive collaborators and friends to help us along this journey we call life. So however you found this podcast, thank you for tuning in and please enjoy this week's episode. Hi, Adria. How you doing? I'm good. I'm awake and I'm excited to chat. Yay. I'm awake too, but it's two hours earlier here. You are super awake. I'm very impressed. (laughs) I have my cat mug. Yes. And your cats around you. Mm -hmm. This is a typical day. (laughs) Yep. Hi, we hear you. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, uh, all three of my cats. <laughs> yes. Yes. A gaggle of cats. That makes you ha- makes you a gaggle, right? Gaggle owner? It makes me, yeah, it makes me a gaggle. It also makes me a very happy spinster. See, there you go. Yeah. There we go. Are you blissful, in fact? I'm very on brand. Um, <laughs> so, so, A, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. You're one of my favorite, favorite people. Ditto. And you're super talented, so I'm very happy that you came. Oh, shucks. <laughs> I got my tissue just in case. It's right here. That's good because we might cry. I'll just cry into my cat. (laughs) So let's take this back a little bit, right? Let's take it back. Let's take it back. Like like over 20 years, right? Yeah. I was trying to figure out how many years it was that I have met. I've known you and when did I meet you? It was just many moons ago, Chris. It was many moons. We were in Illinois and I had just arrived into grad school. Yes. I was friends with Rich and you were friends with Megan Megan. and then we all combined. So for the listeners, Rich, who we just mentioned, lives in Canada now, very talented sound designer, but he was a sound design student and I was in the technical side of the University of Illinois' grad program. At Urbana-Champaign, people. Urbana-Champaign, go Illini. Where I am from. Yep. Orange and blue, we're going to get to that. So you, Rich, and Megan were all locals that were going to the local school. Shampoo banana. Shampoo banana. And for listeners out there who are younger and might be considering college, if you want to look into a theater program, it's a very good theater program. And that's what all three of us were studying in different forms. Yes. Adria, you were in the acting program, which is a conservatory, right? Conservatory type program. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, it means you get like a a Bachelor of Fine Arts in acting. You get a BFA Mm -hmm. as opposed to a BA. And it's run in a conservatory type training. When I was there, you had to audition at the end of your freshman year to get into the next few levels 
few years of the program. So I think they cut almost half of us. And for whatever reason, they kept my crazy butt and I graduated from there. Yeah. So I think I had maybe, I'm trying to remember, 15 people in my class total, half men, half women. And yeah, it was a really, I'm a nerd. Like I loved college. I loved learning, I should say. There's always weird social aspects to, to anything that you enter into. But I loved my teachers and I loved the experience. And I was in the grad program for technical stuff. Yes. So theater technology. And what was cool to me about that, they had a union shop, which if anyone knows about once you get into the professional side of graduating and working, that was a really cool skill or experience for me to have had because the minute I got on a movie set, that was union, I understood kind of the workings of it. And Zora kind of already had a leg up on that way. We're going to shout out Tom Quarter right now, shouting out. Shouting out Tom Quarter. He was, he's, he was, I believe he's retired now, but he was the head of that program and such a nice man and super talented. Oh, yeah. And not only technical students would come through his shop, but the actors as well. He was a gem. And he used to call me, which you, I think I've told you before, but he used to call me the actor's technician. Yeah. If you remember the green room was right behind our scene shop and I would sit out there to eat and none of the technicians would. Yeah. Because I wanted to meet you guys. Yeah. And then he would come up to me and go, your strikes always go so smoothly, Chris. And I go, that's because I've gotten to know them. Yes. They're, yeah. they're, they're working for a friend, not just someone who's telling them to move that piece of wood. Yes. And I think I've always gravitated towards crew <laughs> if I'm an actor on the set or whatever. But yeah, I, I love you guys. It's whether it's theater or film, and I think it's important to understand it's a collaborative effort. It is. And it takes all of us. Yes. Um, I will say that what you do, and I have so much more respect for, for the listeners when you hear my, my little show teaser, Adria threw me through the ringer in a vocal lesson because I asked her to please help me. <laughs> because <laughs> that is not something I am trained in. And I have, I've always respected actors and performers, but so much more after that. And what you like to even think about what you feelings or thoughts you put in while you're reading or how you see, I hadn't, that wasn't had something that had ever entered my brain. Cause right. when I read stuff, I read it or write it. It's how like it plays out in my head or I see the visual and how do I communicate that? It's not about me reading it out loud. Yeah. Yeah. So it was super, I mean, I loved it. Oh, good. I was like, I need to do that again. <laughs> yeah. And we only had one hour, one session. And, you, and I feel like you were like a sponge taking it all in. And I think if you want anybody to have any progress in any amount of time, they just have to be willing and joyful about it. And, and that's what you were. So it worked. <laughs> yeah. I was relating that back to, oh, but what we're having is a when I write a script or you write a script because you're a writer too, we're having a conversation. Yeah. We're writing the beginning of a conversation that's going to be had with actors or directors or cinematographers. And so why wouldn't you go out of your way to meet the other artists? Right. And to get along with them and to understand them, not just on set, but outside of set so that you're better prepared when you are on set. Yes, exactly. Now, what you do, what I was going to say, too, is what I was studying in theater was building scenery or lighting or all of that. That needs an actor. It's a museum piece at best. <laughs> yeah. But an actor can do what they do on a blank stage in a t-shirt and jeans. That's been proven over and over again. And we're self-taping too in front of just our little iPhones. So yeah. Yeah. It's And I'm always amazed by that. It's the heart of what 
you're the actor is the heart of the communication device that you are putting out there. We hope to be. <laughs> Talk to me about like when when did you because I think you were pretty much a, a child force of energy where like when you were a kid. I always imagine that. Yeah, I think if we really go back, it all started when my mom and she'll be like, God damn it, Adria, you brought that up. <laughs> she they, they were having Annie tryouts at Marketplace Mall. Uh-huh. And she didn't take me. And I'm like, well, that was the start of it. <laughs> but no, I've always wanted, I've always loved acting. I think I really started getting into it in high school, which carried over into college and after college. And still, I love acting. But ultimately, it, it goes back to what you're saying about collaboration. I, I love to collaborate with people. And actors, this might sound weird, is like, we, we like to help. When a director gives me notes, great, let's do it. I want to give you what you want. So I kind of always had that in the back of my head. How can I, how can I help? How can I give you what you want? How can I be a part of this? Part of everything. Part of the wheel that makes it all go. When you get a script, what is that? Where does your head go first? Well, when I first read a script, I'm like a busy researcher bee. You know, I'm like, who's making this? Have they made anything before? What was it? Who else is on the team? Who's directing it? Who wrote it? Figure all that out. And it all relates back to tone. What tone are they looking for? And then I look at the script kind of like a scene detective. You know, what motivates this line to say this line to say this line? And then really, I just drop myself into the given circumstances of the world. And I see how that feels until it feels as believable and as authentic as it can feel to me. And then I hope that that reads in terms of what they're looking for. (laughs) That's interesting because you do always feel grounded, but you are often given very ungrounded characters. Yeah. If that's a a polite way to say that. My brand, Chris, my brand. I mean, that's a talent. Like not everybody, not every actor could do that. Thanks for saying that. I do really appreciate that. I do think that every artist, every creative has their strengths and weaknesses. And I think, yes, I like to be challenged to just be the normal woman on camera. (laughs) But really my sweet spot, my strengths are playing people that are a little more emotionally off balance or full in, a, in different ways. And I, I, I really prefer those roles. Because I mean, you go back to if we talk about our beginnings in LA, because you started in Chicago, right? Can you maybe I did? Like, how was that? Yeah, so I graduated college on such a high. I loved the teachers. I worked in the summer theater and all that. And at the end of my senior year, I had one camera class for one semester. And I was like, ooh, I really like this. It's different. And so then I came to Chicago and U of I gave us a showcase where an agent picked me up there. And I remember that first year of just being like, I just want to do this all the way. I want to be union. I want to get on camera. And then I don't know, like, I'm, this is funny, but I'm always cold because I'm small. (laughs) And I'm like, I really need some warm weather. I think I'm just going to take the plunge and move to LA. And of course, all my agents here are like, you've not been on TV. Don't go. That's not a good choice. And so then, of course, that made me go, well, now I have to go. (laughs) But I did book a couple of national commercial spots. And then I saved that money. And in in that year, I was able to get my union card. And then I've just moved out to LA. And then I realized my story is not normal. And then Four months after moving there, I booked my first TV role. And that that was great. And it lasted two years. And that was one of these characters we're talking about. Yeah. It was a character called April Tuna. So anyone out there who is a Ryan Murphy head, you'll know the show popular. If you don't, that was Ryan Murphy's very first show. Yeah. And Adria had a recurring role on it, right? Yeah, recurring guest star, yeah. Recurring guest star, which was pretty huge for 
just moving to LA. But it was such a funny character. You can find clips of Adria's. If you want to. <laughs> Tuna outbursts. Yeah. And I just want to commend you because it wasn't normal, but you were smart enough to get your card, your SAG card yeah. in Chicago. I've always thought that was a very smart decision. Was that conscious? Yes, I did not want to leave until I had the card. Yeah. Yeah. And until I had some type of footage. And for me, it was commercial work, <laughs> but it was something. Um, and then I just networked and I met, there was an agent out here in Chicago working at a Chicago agent that was a friend of mine. And he was going to take a group of people out to LA to manage. He was going to start managing and he didn't take me. But when I got to LA, I was like, you need to take me. <laughs> so <laughs> I, yeah, I think it was just the fearlessness that one has on upon getting a good education and feeling like you can do anything and the age, the time, I was very lucky, I realized, but I also really wanted it. And I, and popular started off as just like a few lines that turned into a recurring guest star. And I just remember thinking, be bold or go home and feeling like if I just don't believe my big choices, nobody will. So I just, I think that's what helped me back then anyway. Well, I think you also, you've always, like you said, you're a nerd. I'm a nerd. You've always done your homework <laughs> and you've always worked hard. I don't think we get to here where we are if you don't put in some sort of work to get here. Right? No, not, I can say that about you too, Chris. You've been writing scripts for years and I have been excited to be your reader on so many of them, but you're always working, whether it's with a partner or yourself, you always have ideas, you're always thinking about other things and you're also working in the industry as you go. So I can, it's just the doing the doing that helps you gain momentum. Well, and I think it, it just makes us more comfortable as we're getting a little older with like we're finding ourselves and yes. life is evolution. Yes. Just like the script I've written, I often say it's a coming of middle age story wrapped in an unromantic comedy. That, right. that coming of middle age and why it came to me was we often just call things coming of age and it's often yeah. a story between, you know, 16 to 21, right? Yes. And I'm like, that is yeah. not the only time in life that no. we are lost and are finding ourselves. <laughs> it is a continual journey. And I think we do a disservice to younger adults if they somehow think that they're supposed to be fully formed by the time they're 25. Oh my gosh. You're not. Exactly. Oh my God. This could be a whole other talk too, but like, I'm such a fan and I don't want to sound weird. I'm such a fan of people failing. Yeah. You got to fail. You got to fall on your butt and get up and realize that you were an idiot and say sorry to people and get better. And whether it's about the work or socially, emotionally, we must fail to get better. And I think there's such a, even with my son who's 13, it's, it's okay if you messed up, man. You just say sorry and you mean it. Get up and you do better next time. Because if you don't mess up, then how do you know yeah, anyway, I'm just a fan of that. In work too, you know, were my first shorts amazing? No, they're not supposed to be like, unless I'm like some crazy child of like, I don't know, but you have to just keep doing it and messing up is part of it. You're also not only learning your own place in the world and who you are, but how you're relating to everyone else and how those pieces fit and who's going to stick with like, I I'm in feel incredibly lucky that our paths crossed as early as they did. And we've been yes. kind of on our journeys together, separate, but always supporting each other. Yeah. And, you know, I've got several friend, like friends and I know you do. And I think that's super important is to understand you're not alone. Right. And that there's people you can send your script to that yes. might be, you might think is the most fantastic thing you've written and is crappy because it's the second one you've written. Yeah. 
who cares? You're evolving. You're, you know, so that third script becomes better. I agree. And it's also too, like, I'm not anti-male at all, but it is important to have fellow women that you can do that with. And I don't have a ton of women that I do that with, to be honest, like a handful that I really am like, that I really feel supported and I support back. But I think that's so important because you talk about evolving to where you are now and this coming of middle age. I feel like the last few years of my life have been so important to me in terms of my own personal growth. And if you would have asked me in my 20s if when I'm pushing 50, I would have these these moments now, I would have been like, nah, those would have already been there. But no, it's exciting. It's exciting. Yeah. When I was 12, I dreamed of having my Oscar at 25. Don't like... I think when you're focused, when you're focused, because I was very focused, like I was on this track from like eight yes. on, right? Yes. Um, and I'm not going to bore people with that story again, because it's been told on other episodes. Oh, okay. Uh, and you've heard it more than anyone. Well, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I also love that that didn't happen for me right. immediately. And that I, because I wouldn't have been able to write and be on this journey to make a lone girl. Right. If that had already happened. Same. I'd be a whole different human being. Yes. And everything that has happened in the past 51 years has led to this, Chris. Yes. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit because maybe there's people out there that are like you who are an actor and are thinking of branching out or are trying to figure out how to make things. Because you very early on, like the minute there was a camcorder available, you guys started doing documentaries. Talk about that journey and what precipitated that. Yes. So I lived in L.A. for 10 years and I ended up moving back to Chicago when when my son was three months old and when my husband got a job at Columbia College Chicago. So we came back for the job and for the healthcare. And at that point, you know, I actually, it was before that. It was before that. You were doing it in LA. That's what I'm talking about. It was. So yeah. So I was doing it before LA actually. So I've always been naturally curious, curious person. So yes, I love acting and still do. I, I, I still audition. I still am doing work on camera that way. But when I was in college, I actually, when I was in high school, I thought, what would happen if instead of being in the play, I directed a play? (laughs) So a friend of mine and I, we directed a play and it was wonderful experience in terms of finding out. We did this wild movement piece and it was super fun to just explore and create. And then when I was in college, I would always be the one to like, people would tell me their monologues and I was like coaching back then even. And out of college, I was doing my own plays at Mary Archie theater and their one act festivals in the summer. So there was always this tendency to want to make my own work, to create my own work with others in some way. And then in LA, after I had done a bunch of television and film, I always gravitate towards the crew and really want to know what they were doing and what everything meant and all that. It was a natural curiosity that then my friend at the time, David, before we got married. Back back when he wore leather pants. Back when he wore leather pants. We were like, yeah, he was working for commercials and trailers and film and I was working in TV and we're like, let's just make something just to have it be silly. And you know, you audition so much and go out for so many jobs. I'm like, I don't want to say anybody else's words. I just want to improv and see what happens. And we started making these comedy improv shorts and it was just him and me. I was in front of the camera and he was 
behind it. And we just were having such a blast doing really stupid comedy sketches. And we had Joel Stover in it, who's now on Stranger Things. We've had Arian Moyad in him, you know, like we, we just were just being so silly. But it was also like a chance for me to see how the camera was working. And, you know, he would talk to me about the edit and things like that. Anyway, fast forward to coming back to Chicago and I teach here at Acting Studio Chicago and at Performers School and I coach my brains out. I'm coaching after this <laughs> for auditions <laughs> and things. So now what I'm mainly known for as a filmmaker is my films for social change. And if you would have told me back when I was in LA that I would be doing films for social change and social justice and all this and I'd be directing them with David and writing them and producing them, I'd be like, you're crazy. I make sketch comedy. What are you talking about? Yeah. I'm a nut. So now I'm just a nut that makes things for change. <laughs> but I think it's always, it's because of my curiosity and wanting to learn as much as I can about the process. I think you've had a child, you had your child. So you had heart and you've evolved with him. And I think your interests have certainly gravitated towards wanting to make the world yes. a better place for him as he grows. Exactly. And I think that's what I've witnessed as you've yeah. grown and made your films. Yeah. I work with kids. To Not just yeah. adult ones. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. No, I think there's, a, I'm always going to be a nut, right? I'm always yeah. going to be a weirdo nut. But I do want to, was coming from this place too of really terrible political things happening in our world and also just wanting to make something that adds in some small, tiny way to the betterment of us as a whole. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about, I know you're writing your memoir, so I'm sure some of this is in there as well. And I'm so happy you're doing that because I, I get the sense that it's a pretty freeing thing for you, which I kind of went through and I, not that my, not that Alone Girl is a memoir, but it was certainly autobiographical and tapping into me. Okay. Yeah. We'll talk about my memoir, but first, okay. everyone listening, I'm very proud of Chris for writing this because it has so many elements from her own personal life. It is not an autobiography at, at all, but it's so much inspired from her real life and reading all these amazing films that she's written and scripts that she's written. This one to me is, has to be made because it's got such a strong voice and that's all you opening up your vulnerability to show what's inside you. And I think that so many other people similar to you need to see this and people that are not similar to you. Hey everyone, I'm plugging Alone Girl because I think it's fantastic. And not just because Chris is my BF. <laughs> Thank you. So the memoir. Yeah, your memoir, I think I've talked to you about it is when I was writing Alone Girl. So for everyone who's out there with, I don't know, I think I've mentioned this in a couple of my conversations, but the version of Alone Girl Girls, the script that I am working to get off the ground right now is the 28th draft. So poor Adria has in fact read, I would say about 20, 20 of those drafts. I didn't send you all of them. I know you thought I did. I think I've read 23. Okay. Something like that. I didn't send you all of them. No. There was a couple that I held back. There's a couple, yeah. And there's a lot of, if you were to match up the second or first draft of it up against the 28th, there's a huge difference and there's a lot more vulnerability, I think, yeah. in it, yeah. the way it's expressed. And a lot of that came through the rewriting process, which I'm a huge fan of. I have in the past seen people like, oh, I'm done, you know, and it's like their second or third draft. And I personally don't understand that. I, I'm i not saying you have to go into 28 drafts, but right. I think they're shaping and digging to be done. Yeah. In, and it's done in the rewrite. And I would be paralyzed 
with certain scenes to write a certain scene because it was digging into oh, yeah. the self. And the person today who so openly talks about this script and about my journey is not the person who started with that blank page. Right. Adria will be the first one to tell you just how shy sometimes I could be or how yeah. quiet in certain situations. But I wasn't born that way. Yeah. I was, I think, born a bit of a gregarious little kid. That was just how I grew up, yeah. the environment that had its effect on me. And I've worked my entire life to get back to being yeah. that kid. And this was part of that process. Yes, exactly. And then Adria told me a few months ago that she was writing a memoir and it made me happy because she's had such a, you've had such a interesting life to me and a lot of ups and downs, some of which I've been present for. Yeah. So talk to me about that. We're going to go a little deep here, friends. So I don't think journeys, revealing, vulnerability, all of that. As you get older, you're like, am I going to be a better? Am I going to be like the best version of who I can be or on the road to that? Or am I going to get shittier? And I, you know, uh, it'll be two years in August that I'm. So for me, the last couple of years have been choosing to try to be a good version of Adria. And with all of that, with all of that, I think if I wasn't sober, I don't think I'd be writing my memoir. And that's with alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. The last several years has been alcohol. Yeah. The last couple. No, I'm talking about the last couple of yeah. years. Yeah. So anyway, I got sober and I, I've been in therapy a long time. I suggest it for everyone. For me, who am I to write a memoir? Who's Adria Dawn? I'm not like a super famous celebrity, but I, I'm writing this memoir to talk about my life in entertainment, my life as a creative, my personal journeys, and really my road, what led me to where I am today, what led me to sobriety. And so that's what the book's about. And it feels so scary and so exhilarating to write. And so that's why I know I, I have to make it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like I was telling, like I'd start paralyzed and then I'd write the scene and then yeah. I'd rewrite it and I rewrite it. And you get the sense of, okay, the, oh, I need to go deeper. I didn't go deep enough. Oh my God. I need to look at this scene again. And then you need to jump off that cliff again. But when you're done... There's just such a feeling of lightness. And yeah. I think I told someone, a friend of mine who I had on this, who's a therapist now. She's a friend from high school. Mm-hmm. And she asked me how I got on this journey to write a long girl, mm-hmm. which was a very long answer because she has not been on the journey with me every step like you have. Mm-hmm. And I finished it going, it was my therapy. Cause I don't, I, and I'm not saying you shouldn't go to therapy. I just, yeah. I haven't, I had a very bad experience when I was in college and I just never really gone back. But I also am pretty good about calling friends yeah. and think, like when I need stuff and always lean on people. And I'm sure if I really got to a space where I needed it, I'd go. Oh yeah. I, I'm such a, a fan of therapy, but like for me, I wrote my book to try to help others that have maybe gone through similar things that I've gone through or not similar things at all. Just coming out on the other side of what must have been hard for you. That's my hope for my book. Yeah, because I remember us in our <laughs> 20s, in the 90s, very early on when we were in L.A., you confessed to me. And it was after. So I, I don't know if you mind telling this story. What is it? It's when you picked me up from from having my knee surgery. Oh. And they'd given me Vicodin. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember this. So Adria, very nice. I had knee surgery. I had an injury and I was out for nine months, but it was outpatient. So I needed somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah. To pick me up and to have me not be alone for the first night or something. And Adria was kind enough to be that friend. And so she she drives me to her apartment in North Hollywood and they've given me Vicodin and 
I had found out when I was 19. So at this point, I'm in tw- I'm 28. But when I was 19 and had all of my wisdom teeth out, I had found out I was very severely allergic to codeine. It affects my respiratory system. Oh, wow. It's not just like a rash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the doctor who had given it to me you know, after my dad took me back to the doctor to go, what the hell's going on? Because I was getting splotches and I was having trouble breathing. Oh, my God. And he's like, well, you've had your first reaction. Don't ever have another dose of this because they may not get you to the hospital hospital in time. That's literally what was told to me. So knowing that they'd given me Vicodin, which I'd never had before. And I had the same very milder, but same type of reaction because Vicodin is the synthetic version of codeine. So not everyone who's allergic to codeine is allergic to Vicodin, but there was something within the two that Chris is allergic to. Right. And you found out and you're like, and you had told me something like that. You told me some story about Chicago. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Pills and whatever. But also had said that you had an addictive personality. And that's what registered in my head because I'm that kind of friend. And I think you left for an audition and I flushed. I don't know if you knew this. I flushed all of my pills down the. Yeah. Because I knew I couldn't take them. Yeah. And I was afraid. For you, because I didn't want to be the reason, you know, no matter whether it was just for fun or not, I just, for some reason, you said addictive personality, and I got to take care of my friend. And I just think you've helped me on different things, too. You know, like, we just need to be there and listen. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I thank you for doing that. But there's, there's something about having friendships and support that can get you through, get you through to the other side and letting go of that judgment. There are so many people that have judged me and judged others for their mistakes in the past. Going back to failure is a good thing. It is. If you learn and grow from it and decide to make change for yourself. And I also think that's why your film is so great, that you are how you are. And yes, there's judgment for being you and the choices that you've made. But in the end, it's good for you. And I think if we as a society let go of this judgment lens, we're so quick to judge why people do what they do and to make up our own decision about why they've done something. You honestly have no idea why people do what they do. You don't know about you know their history, where they're at, the choices that they make are theirs. So I always appreciated our friendship in terms of yeah, we might steer each other to make better decisions, but there's no, oh, you're a terrible person. Oh, this judgment, how I'm not your friend anymore. Yeah. So I think in that way, we've helped each other. And I think it shows shows in our work as well. Like you are able to write this deeply personal story about yourself because you've gone through some stuff. I can talk about trauma that I'm letting go of, you know, in my book yeah. and make things that might resonate to a couple people out there. Yeah. So it's all for the greater good, but we got to go through all that junk every so often because it's human and it makes us better, hopefully. And that is, that is life. Yeah. We're not unique. (laughs) We're not. And that's, you know, we all have a journey laid ahead for us and we don't know what it's, what it is. I don't, I'm only 51 and no, I don't know how many more years I have on this earth. We don't. But I, I know there's going to be ups and downs that I can't foresee. I can try to manifest. Yep. I do believe that there's something to putting your energy behind something to will things to hopefully yeah. go the way you want, like with this film. I mean, you know this because you've written a script too that I've read that you guys are trying to get made and stuff. It's a hard journey and you better know in your bones that this is what you want to do. Oh, yeah. Because there is downs that you can't forget about just the rejection letters of the competition, which those knock you down. But to a certain extent, I 
I would ask people to turn it on its head and go, you don't know who the reader was. You don't know the day they were having. No. You don't know. Like there's so many parts of it that are not controllable and it's their loss if they didn't see Oh yeah. What you offered, right? Yeah. That's always how I've, I guess, you know, and I don't know that if I was in my twenties, I would have seen that because I didn't really put my stuff out into a competition until Alone Girl. Yeah. But I do know that A, be careful who you're taking criticism from or who you've sent your stuff out for notes. You better make sure it's someone you respect. Yes. Their voice and cultivate a belief in yourself. And I'm not talking about an egotistical, I'm the best thing, whatever. No, yeah. Confidence, not arrogance. Yeah. But cultivate a sense of what story you are trying to tell when you are trying to tell it so that when you get those notes or whatever, you can parse them out and go, yes, this is one that I should really take a look at. Yeah. This is one that is coming from a place of not understanding what I'm trying to do with the script. So right. they didn't understand it. And okay, is this a person who I need to have understand this? Yeah. No, it's not written for them. Exactly. So they move on. And that relates to acting too. Like when I'm coaching, it's some actors are like, did you like that? Did that work for you? Did you believe me? I'm like, I'm not going to answer that because did you like it? Did you believe it? Did it work for you? Because it really is about you feeling good in your own creativity and you not looking for approval or answers from someone else. Like you, feedback is great, but you can't let it take over what made it special, what you made your own in the first place. Yeah. It comes back to what you were talking about with judgment. Yeah. Is the person, is that note coming from a place of judgment or is that note coming from support? A place of support. Yeah. Yeah. And you can usually tell if you really look at it. And if it's coming from a place of judgment, that means that person didn't understand what you were writing to begin with or your performance or whatever it is you're working on, move on. Be mindful of who you are showing your stuff to that you are asking for notes. On the flip side, don't automatically give someone notes if they didn't ask you to. Right. If you have, because I've had that, I've had, and it's funny, I was a young writer uh, that I was in a group and they requested to read the script. And I said, yeah, sure. And I sent it, not with a thing that said, give me your notes. It was just like, they asked to read my script. And I got this email back going, I will read this weekend and get you my notes. And I wrote back going, listen, I just want you to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, and I, I wrote in a very, you know me, I don't I don't write mean. Yeah. I was just like, I don't really need notes, but thank you very much. Yeah. Let me know what you thought. And never got a response. Didn't even get a response to that email. And I was like, did you just feel insulted because I told you I didn't want your notes? You know, it's like, I've, I've known you for a month. And it's, those are... The people I send my script out, and you're one of them and a few of the others, there are people I've known for years and they are people who actually were on this journey with me. So when they read my script, and yes, I have given my script to certain people who are from other worlds, whether they're a lesbian or gay or a person of um, a guy who's older or a guy who's younger that's straight or cis, because I wanted to make sure a big deal for me is that Everyone can see, get something from this script or can see without judgment my journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I have gotten notes from some of those people that I had to struggle with and realize, oh, they just didn't get this. There's a moment, and I'll, because you're going to love this, you in particular. There's a moment in the script in Alone Girl where it's the first time that the lead character, Sam, gets in kind of a little bit of a argument with the love interest 
who is a perfectly great guy. She she says no to him because she wants to be single, not because there's an issue with him. But they do get into this little thing. And it's because she wants to go work on this art project she's working on instead of hang out with him and watch a movie. Mm -hmm. And he kind of bristles and is like, and kind of says, uh, well, I guess you could do that. And it's those little comments that I think men sometimes don't realize what they're actually saying. And this came not from something that happened to me, but it came from something that happened to a friend of mine who she told me, and I'm like, do you mind if I yeah. And that was what the person was basically giving her permission to go read. <laughs> and she turned it back on him. It was like, it's okay. Are you giving me permission to not hang out with you? Because that's, you know. I feel like so much of what we're talking about and so much of what your script is about self-identity. Yeah. And identity is the title of my next film. But anyway, <laughs> strangely. But yeah, it's about what's great about your script is that it's saying, hey, I'm choosing to just be with me. And it, and that's what I need. I need to be able to be creative, to write, to do this, to be alone. And that's a good thing. I, yeah, identity is huge. And so it's it was like, it's like a struggle to keep your own self-identity and what you do. Yeah. And I think that a lot of couples, people in partnerships can totally relate to that in terms of, I don't want to lose myself. I want to still be me, do the things I want to do. Yeah. Oh, but wait, does that mean you don't like me? You don't want to spend time with me? No. And that's what that scene's about, right? Yes, exactly. And during the pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic, right at the start, I was supposed to be in Atlanta. I know this because we were going to mm -hmm. be. I came to visit you in Chicago right before it hit. Yeah. And then I went to Atlanta and I was only supposed to be there a month. And then it was right around March 16th. I flew home March 16th of 2020. But during that time, I was also going to host an extra room and a screenwriter came to, yes. to stay there for a couple months. And he was a great guy, but he's he was a, I think he was in his early 30s and he read the script. He was really smart. And so I, I showed him the script because Obviously, we were in, I returned and now I had a roommate, which I wasn't. Whoa. <laughs> you know, it was fine because I wasn't going to kick him out. No, well, there was yeah. a pandemic. But he, he read it and that was one of his main notes when I got the script back from him. And he gave really good notes. There was some, there's some work in my script that came directly from things that he thought of. But this one note was, this seems so small. She should be saying that she doesn't want to go hang out with him because he came, he surprised her with concert tickets or something big. And it took me a couple of, like, I kept going back to that going, because it didn't sound right to me. But, right. and this is the thing, this is how you take notes and how you start thinking about it and how you realize the story you're trying to tell. And it really, it all of a sudden it dawned on me, I'm like, oh, that he's giving me that note and no slack on him but it was a male point of view of this argument but it was great that you got it because it informed you of the story you want to tell yeah and i'm like this is why this argument's happening because in his mind you would never pick a fight over something that small but it's not small to her right and there's the crux of the misunderstanding to, to a certain extent. I think we all want our voice to be heard. We all want to be heard. And in that moment, you weren't being, that scene was about that character not being heard by the other. Yeah. And it being something small in the other character's mind makes it, it even stronger to me. Yes. From a female lens. Yes. I don't think any woman reading that script and reading that scene would have ever pegged that as this should be a bigger thing she's turning down on his end. That was strictly a male lens note. And I was like, I reject that note. Yeah. But it also means I'm on the right track. It clarified your vision. It clarified my vision, but also I was like, nothing would make me happier if I walked out of the theater and heard three different couples talking about that scene. Exactly. And why it resonated 
with them one way or the other. That's all we want. When we make our stuff, all we want is for people to, for it to resonate with people and for them to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. What does spinster mean to you? Spinster. When we think about the typical word spinster, we think of a little old lady knitting in a rocking chair. (laughs) When I think of spinster, I think of spinning creativity in different areas as it relates to me. Yeah, spinning creativity, whether it's, I, for me, I have to be creative in any way. And that fuels me and who I am, whether it's acting or writing or directing or producing, I think of spinning in different ways creatively. That's good. So then there should be a little spinster in each of us. Yeah, absolutely. We got to have that spin. If we don't, then what are we doing? We're just sitting there. Yeah. And we, granted, we need to sit there too sometimes to get back to creativity, right? Here, do you have anything to plug? Well, I can plug my kid series. Yeah, you just got done shooting one, right? Yeah, so I make a series called Kids Matter, and it's about teens and tweens. And we um, each episode, we're up to episode eight now, is about a contemporary issue that teens face. So this one is about identity, gender, and labels and pronouns. We have them on gun violence in schools and social exclusion. And we are educationally distributed. So if you know someone in that needs contemporary content for their schools, middle, high school, and adult learning, you can hit me up. That's my plug. <laughs> They've also won several awards. Yeah. She's being humble. They've won several awards. <laughs> We try to win awards, and sometimes we do. I am fully aware that this year was a great year for the awards, and that means what? It can't always be great, so I'm just <laughs> trying to stay even. No, I know, but in in being supportive and celebrating, we have to celebrate each other. Yeah. It's, just, it's always, each one of those gets better and better. There's a clear line of your own evolution as filmmakers and as communicators with, and if anyone knows anything about making film with kids is not easy Oh my God. every year. My husband is like trying to cut around people looking at the lens right now. <gasps> Even though I like practice with the camera, don't look. They're like, what do you mean? <laughs> well, and that's probably social media. It's probably hard to untrain them from what they're trained to do these days, which is look into the camera and talk to each other. Right? Absolutely. But wait, so one question I have is, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but like with Alone Girl, are you feeling like you're getting closer to production or where are you with that? We are, you know this, I've gotten close several times to getting some form of development funds or a promise of more than that. It's, I sound like a broken record. It's a roller coaster, right? And you wake up one day so high and going, oh my God, I found someone who is going to invest and believes in my project. And then you wake up two months later and, oh, my wife froze my assets. You know, like ridiculous things or realizing that because this is a marriage in a very big way, whoever you decide to partner with that as a financier, you better be okay with being in their orbit for the next five years in a in what could become a tense situation because there's money involved. Right. I'm not talking, and there could be, there's somebody who wanted to help who I still consider a, a friend and I'm a champion for whatever part of the journey she's on because she's also a creator herself. But I don't think we were a match in the sense of being 
in each other's orbit for that long with money involved because our energies aren't matched in the sense of I can be a tornado and a pest, not in a bad way, but it's just the way I operate as a producer. And I think if you're serious, you come on that lot and you buy the Ferrari. You don't spend a year thinking about it. If you you can spend a year thinking about it, but if you've arrived on the lot and you've said that one, then put your money down. But BD, who is my fantastic producer, her name's BD Gunnell, if anyone wants to to look her up. And she's had films at Tribeca and she's got a full slate of films, including mine, that are all about female empowerment. Some are teen stories, some are older women. I think most are helmed by first-time female filmmakers. And she's starting a company called uh, Empowered Entertainment. And I'm part of that slate, which is pretty awesome. But she just got back from Cannes and we're exploring a couple options that might have come up. One is that Vertical Entertainment might be willing to put in 1.5 for the like pre-sale for the domestic rights, which is pretty exciting if that happens. And then the other thing is that Sony Picture Classics might be interested possibly. Great. So we're exploring that. And I'm learning to be excited, but not commit myself completely to that excitement as I'm going along. You know, first of all, that's exciting news. And you know me, I'm your big cheerleader over here going, I hope it happens. Yeah. But also, I've been telling myself this too, you get the high highs and the low lows, our job is to remain in the middle. And that's what I'm learning right now. Because I, when I was first, and that's the thing is, I, you know this, I started on this journey, not knowing anyone really right. independent feature world. As long as I've been in the industry, it's never been on that side. It's all very siloed to a certain extent, meaning who makes what. Mm -hmm. Even if you were on the studio side, you wouldn't really know how to make an independent film. It's a different animal. And that's part of why I wanted to make this podcast is it's an exploration of my own journey and my own interests and why I gravitated towards writing this film. But it's also an exploration of how does one go about making this? Because you know this, it's... There's very little out there in real time of how you got your film off the ground. But yeah, nobody tells you how to do it. You can learn and train, but you just got to throw yourself into it. And there's a lot of podcasts to learn or videos and stuff. And all of it's great. If there's a podcast called Team Deacons. Oh, yeah. It's amazing with some of their interviews. There's a podcast called Angle on Producers. Oh, yeah. It's like anything you do, like you can train and learn, but really until you get out there and do it. Yeah. You have to jump. But a lot of those, a lot of the conversations either talk about while you're in production, which is great, or they talk about how the film got distributed and Sundance or whatever. But when it gets to this part, everyone's like, well, you know, you just got to make it happen. Yeah. You hear that. And that doesn't help me, you know? And so that's why I'm fairly open with, yeah, she went to Cannes specifically for this, right? And you got to try to put yourself out there. I think if I'm leaving anybody with anything, it would be just if you put yourself out there and show up to certain things and just be present, if you keep doing that, the universe is going to attract people to help and support you and for you to support and help on the way too. Yeah. And together you'll rise up and help each other get, figure it out and make whatever it is you're trying to make. Thank you so much, Adria, for joining. (laughs) 
me and and all of your great wisdom that you've shared today. Oh, geez. This is so fun for me because Chris is like such a great person. So I'm just happy to hang out and chat. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to Blissful Spinster. If any of these conversations are resonating with you, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Blissful Spinster on Instagram and Twitter and through our website, blissfulspinster.com. Again, thanks so much for joining me on this journey. And until next week, go find your happy.